welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. It is a powerful, powerful episode with Brady Levold, and we'll talk about his story in just a second here. But before we do get over to that, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey J. Who Levecchio. Vex, what's going on today, my man? You know, just snapping necks and cashing checks. Usual J. Who stuff. <laughs> <laughs> snapping necks and what was it? Cashing Cash and checks. checks. <laughs> Yeah, no, having having a good day, man. I uh, got to work with my NFL guys again today, and uh, dude, they're just such a blast to work with. It's like I get I I I always thought this that every sport would be different to work with, like different cultures, different ways they do things, like in the locker room, like they just every sport like has its kind of own you know culture built within it. And, uh, so having football players in there, like they're, they're just so funny. They're not used to like the, uh, the, the, the hockey humor locker room talk that, uh, that I bring to the table. And so they just <laughs> laugh at every stupid thing I say. And Whereas it, like all your hockey guys that have been with you for years are like, yeah, okay, Max. Yeah. They're yeah. Like, yeah. Or, or, or everybody like starts chirping each other, you know? And like, these guys are just like, did he just say that? And he just. <laughs> So priceless to watch their faces. So I, it's awesome. I love it. That's funny. Well, I want to get over to Brady because this this podcast was incredible, uh, incredible, moving and and powerful. Um, before we do, I want to talk a little bit because we have gotten a lot of feedback on the podcast that we did this week or that came out this week, and that was on the cost of youth hockey. And uh, I I don't know about you, Vex, but like it is a triggering topic for a lot of people because hockey is very expensive. And um, I I think people kind of knew where their money went, not entirely sure they and and you know having it all broken down into stuff i I think it uh i think it opened a lot of people's eyes and and if you haven't listened to that one i i I would encourage you to go listen to it especially if you're paying an arm and a leg for your your kid to play youth hockey but have you gotten a lot of like dms and stuff from it too Oh yeah. Text messages, DMs. Yeah. I, I got a text like an hour after it dropped yesterday of somebody being like, you need to go on a speaking tour about this. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> and it, like, like seven 30 AM, 8 AM. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And nonstop DMs today to, to my Instagram uh, about people just, yeah. you know, I this had, is, this is what I paid. This is ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah. God, I feel for I've had, guys everything so i had like two people from the that are like working in the nhl and nhl teams reach out i've had a bunch of college guys reach out and then i had a bunch of parents reaching out being like exactly the same thing like are you kidding me <laughs> are you kidding me what what is going on here dude i think like like you know i i had never heard of this like stay to play uh uh racketeer job that, that we got going never heard on. of that Dude, didn't know that was a thing. And I, I would assume anybody who's like around our age um, who played in the NHL or, or pro or college or juniors, like if they're not back in, in youth hockey coaching now, like they probably never heard of that crap either. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> like that's just like the most un-American thing I've ever heard. You must stay here if you want to play in this tournament. Like what? What? Uh, no, that's ridiculous. It's just that's. <laughs> 
Oh man. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got you going. Got that you one going. pisses me off a lot. Got you going. I like it. Um, well, let's get over to Brady, who we interviewed for our podcast here today. And and for those of you that don't follow him on social media, I encourage you to do so. Um, he has a non-for-profit that we talk about on the podcast called Puck Support. Um, he's a motivational speaker. He's a coach. And he's been through some stuff. He's been through some stuff in his life. And um you know, we, we talk about it and he's very open about it on the podcast about childhood trauma, uh, talks about drug abuse, uh, talks about bullying and hazing, um, and talks about being on the streets and, and being homeless, being in jail and, and from going through all of that stuff to hell and back. And, you know, now he is where he is sharing his story and helping, uh, a ton of people in in providing some perspective and and especially for the people who are going through some some stuff in their own life too to to know that they are not alone and we talk a lot about that uh in this episode as well and man like just overall thoughts um i know you've been talking to him on on instagram and and kind of hooked this thing up so what were your overall thoughts on on this conversation here that we just had with brady you know it's it's this is something that uh, a topic that hits home with me uh, a bit. You know, I have, I have one of one of my tattoos on my forearm is for one of my teammates from college who passed away from a fentanyl overdose. Um, a guy that he actually talks about at the end of the podcast at the very end. I was roommates with him um, for a little bit, and uh, they put him with me to to keep him on the straight and narrow and to keep him clean and. And it, it was working until I got called up and I, and I was gone for months. And, you know, like it's the stuff is real. It can happen. It, it can happen to good people. It's not bad people who this happens to. And so um, what he's doing is unbelievable. Talking about it, uh, um, speaking about, you know, ways to help people who they you know, might notice on your team or organization, or whatever, that might be going through something um and just getting it out there is is going to help a lot of people so i just think it's, i was really happy that he said yes to coming on the podcast uh you know he's a busy dude he's helping a lot of people so uh, uh really exciting to have him on yeah yeah for sure and and for for us and and for all of the higher level hockey people that are listening to this um i can name i don't know 10 to 15 people off the top of my head who got addicted to painkillers throughout their career after a surgery or after um getting hurt or something like that and and um you know it's uh it's an unfortunate part of it's not just hockey it's it's professional sports and in, in general and i mean it's life and it's america and, and life mean, push yeah, these things yeah yeah absolutely and and so his openness i think is is gonna it's gonna it's gonna save a lot of people I, I really think that not just like he's obviously speaking to other people outside of this podcast, but um, yeah, just such, such an important conversation to have because the shit's real. Addiction's real. It's a real thing. And, and it's something that you and I, like, I don't know if you think about this much, but like our grandma, her father was an alcoholic and, and addicted and killed himself. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think about that, like, and, and think about how that's like in our gene pool, you know, and, yeah. and not wanting to, and knowing that that's in our gene pool and it could be a thing that, right. that happens, you know? And, and so I think like what you said too, is a really important point. And that's like, you know, people who 
become addicts or, or people who go in in these these paths like that, they're not bad people, man. They're not bad people at all. They and, and and Brady talks about they made one bad choice and then one bad choice led to another bad choice and and then it all just kind of spirals from there. And and it's just a really powerful story. You know, obviously there was some hurt, there was some pain, but for me, I think it's also an unbelievable story of redemption too. And and this is a guy who's been through some stuff, and you'll hear about it here in in a couple minutes um, when we get into the conversation. Um, but just what he is able to do now is absolutely incredible. And he talks about not wanting to change his experiences or his life for for anything else in the world, and the fact that he gets to help people now um just uh just a pretty cool thing and and i'm really excited for and again we we should preface this if there are kids in the car like there's there's it it gets deep it gets deep um and he talks about some some pretty heavy stuff here um so if there's younger kids you know maybe mom and dad um listen to it first before you listen to it with your kids um but it's uh it, it's a it's a necessary conversation I, I think to have and for for people to hear and and his story is is uh, as as bad as it got for him it's incredible where he's at now and we're just so thrilled and and so happy to be able to share his message and uh, and share his story with the thousands of people that that listen to our podcast and uh, I think it's going to go a long way to provide a lot of people perspective. Um, maybe it goes away into maybe there's somebody out there that's this close away from reaching out for help and and maybe this gets you over the edge um and and so it's a it's a powerful one and and we're just really really thrilled to be able to bring this to you guys so Vex, i don't know if you have anything to add before we uh head it over no sir okay so real quick thank you to gel sticks thank you to train heroic thank you to cure nutrition thank you to icehockeysystems.com you guys know the drill. Thank you to everybody who supports our podcast. Don't even want to get into a lot of that right now. We just want to get you right over to this one. Really, really powerful episode. So uh, here we go. Without further ado, Brady Levold. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's up north in the Muskokas, up in Ontario. It's Brady Levold. Brady, how you doing today? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. We are really excited to to have you on to to share your story, and I know so many people are going to get a lot out of this, a lot of life lessons, and um, yeah, I think Vex, this might be like the longest pre-show talk that we've had with somebody, and uh, it, I'm powerful. like, I'm yeah, powerful, and I'm I'm just so excited to dive in. So, Brady, thanks for coming on, man. We're really pumped for this. Yeah, honored to be here. I've been kind of following you guys along since, you know, I started to kind of share my story three years ago and started my own podcast and kind of looked to others who were doing the similar thing. And you guys were always right at the top of that list, as I told you. So it's a couple of years later and here we are. So thanks for having me. Well, we got the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio on here. So, you know, not a big deal. You know, part of my life. <laughs> um, but Brady, you know, for for all of our guests that we have on, we we like to share uh, a lot of your story and and where that starts. And and so, if you can, just take us way back. You grew up in Port Coquitlam, which is right outside of Vancouver, BC. Uh, so, how'd you fall in love with the game? Was it a family member? Was it the Canucks? What made you get into the great sport that we're going to be talking about here today? Yeah, I uh, think it's a little bit of both for sure. And just before I get into it, I just want to prepare people because I'm going to talk about some stuff that you know is relatively heavy so just kind of a, a warning ahead of time 
Um, yeah, like you said, Port Coquitlam, uh, about uh, you know half an hour uh, east of Vancouver. Uh, per, I just usually say Vancouver because no one knows where Port Coquitlam is. Uh, I but recruited yeah, out there, know. so I know. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, you know, Coquitlam <laughs> oh, that's Express. awesome out there. Yeah, Co- Coquitlam Express. Let's go. Um, yeah, you know, I, I fell in love with the game of hockey for a couple of different reasons. I think first off, my dad, uh, you know, he loves the game. He's been a, a scout in the Western League for many years, and uh, obviously, as a kid, I think you kind of tend to be drawn towards, especially as a young boy, what you, what your dad is doing, and, and that was sort of the case. And you know, very, really fortunate around that time when I first fell in love with the game of hockey. Say about ninety one, ninety two is the era of Pavel Bury in Vancouver, yeah. right? And I, I was at his first game, and you know, and I still remember it. He didn't score, but the guy had like I swear to God, he had like a hundred breakaways that game, just faster than everybody. And in that moment. You know, I wish I could go back and realize I was never going to be Pavel Bure. But in that moment, I decided I wanted to be Pavel Bure, and it never would be. Never, you know, could even think about going that fast. I don't think. But you know, so that that was exciting. Um, but in and around the same time, you know, within a matter of months, my parents they separated, and and my dad was kind of left to be a single dad, and you know, that was pretty challenging. And then you know, more so, the probably the hardest thing that I went through certainly in childhood was like three, four months after my parents separated, I was at a family reunion and I was sexually abused by, by an older, you know, gentleman and family member. And that's why I said, you know, it's going to be maybe triggering for some people, but it's part of my story. And, you know, so the reason why I share that is obviously because I know there's people out there who, you know, are, are, or have gone through something similar, maybe don't feel comfortable talking about it or haven't find, found the, the kind of strength to, to go work through it. And that was the case for me for a long time. So when I found hockey, that was, I always tell everybody, as you're going to hear, my life kind of fell apart later on very quickly. But hockey to me was like my first drug. It was my first outlet, right? Like when I had a stick in my hand, I always say whether it's stick handling in my carport or watching Hockey Night in Canada, just in between commercials or on the ice or street hockey, whatever. I didn't think about my parents' separation. I didn't think about the abuse. And that was my safe space. And so I spent a lot of time doing it. And, you know, as we all know, if you do something enough and you spend the time, you get pretty good at it. And I was always, that was kind of the place where I was confident and I felt really good about it. Uh, I never told anybody what happened to me ever, like until like 30 years later, almost. So, you know, hockey was that escape, but underlying that I had a lot of anger issues kind of on the ice issues off the ice issues that you know would now people are like oh there's maybe some red flags but people just don't think that this is going to happen certainly my dad or mom they didn't think that this was happening to their son uh so you know I, as I started to get a little bit older I, I really started to hear like you know homophobic language and and different slurs and I would see people in school get labeled you know with some of these with this language and I would literally see their life be destroyed. And, and 99% of the time it wasn't even true, but I would see what was happening. I was like, wow, like if they know what happened to me, I can't tell anybody. And so that's what I did. And I stuffed it down and hockey worked for a long time. Like it, I did so much of it and it was a safe space and I was, you know, never cut from a team and always like one of the best on my team, if not the best triple a all the way up. And you know, I ended up, you know, 16 years old. I, I was with the Swift Current Broncos in the WHL and, and I played in one game. I remember I got an assist in my first game. And you think at 16 years old, there's not a higher level of hockey you could be playing than the Canadian Hockey League. Really, yeah, it certainly back then was the case. And and I just remember that I was being in Swift Current, three, four provinces away uh, and, and just really starting to 
hockey wasn't working for me anymore. And I remember playing that first game and uh, back then rookie hazing and bullying was really prevalent. And I think some people could handle it. I couldn't. And I think because I couldn't and I would get picked on even more. So, I, you know, I'd go to the rink and my, my skates would be filled with water and thrown in the freezer. And I'd come back from school right to the rink and the guys who were older that weren't in school, you know, they're freezing my skates full of water and my gloves. So I get to the rink and I'm like, where's my skates? Where's my gloves? They're in the freezer. Now I'm trying to get like a heat gun. And it was just miserable. Right. And, and all the while I thought I was going there to chase my dreams. And, you know, there's a million and one of these stories and, and it was way worse than just that. I'm really minimizing how bad it was, but I made a decision to just like, like I can't do this. Like I, I'm actually left. I'd played one game, gotten a fist, and packed up my year because my mental health was not in a good place. It was really the first time I remember after that game, the first time in my life where I actually contemplated like taking my own life and not wanting to be here. And it's a really kind of crazy thing to fathom now, especially at 35. Looking back, it's like, man, you should have been living out your dream, and that's every kid's dream, certainly in Western Canada, to play in the Western Hockey League. If you're a hockey player at 16 and, and there I was, so I left and again, didn't tell anybody, didn't tell the coaches, wasn't talking about it. You know, I didn't tell my dad, didn't really say anything. I was just like, kind of stuffed it down. And I went back to the team as a 17 year old and, and I just remember, you know, nothing really got better. It was kind of the same treatment, but in and around the same time is when I was really introduced to alcohol. Now I won't say it was the first time I ever drank or anything like that, but it was more like a, I said, oh, days off for drinking. And I really wanted to impress the older guys on the team and try to fit in. So, you know, at 17 years old, I'm starting to drink. And I started to realize that I had a really hard time putting it down. Um, you know, I would start and I couldn't stop. And there was a few of us on every team that I played on that were kind of like this. And I started to, to weigh heavily on my my hockey career. And obviously off the ice was was challenging, but I still was able to win the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year that year. And, and I just remember thinking like leaving there i couldn't wait to get home because it was that miserable of a year mentally and again not telling anybody sports psychologist came in you know to kind of work with the guys but i wasn't telling anybody what was going on and thinking like oh i'm a hockey player i can't show any sign of weakness here i can't tell people i'm nervous before games or nervous before practice or that you know i'm being picked on in the dressing room and that i feel like uh, i just want to run away from here because i can't handle it like i i just didn't feel comfortable talking about any of that so trying to internalize it and it was much like that for the for the majority of my junior career and you know the drinking kind of progressed and when i left swift current that year and i'll let you guys come in here in a minute i'm a talker so you cut me off anytime <laughs> but Go ahead, um I, just a really important part of the story especially if there's any young you know young people especially young hockey players listening is that you know, I always had the stance that I do not do drugs. Like I'm a hockey player and I don't do drugs. Like it'll never be a part of my life. I don't associate with people that do drugs. If they did, even in high school, some of my friends went that way. I'm like, see you later. Like, you know, I, that was what I did. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but it was like, you want to do that? I'm playing hockey. That's my, that's my road. And, and so after that season, when I left Swift Current, it was, you know, season's over four days before we fly out, parties on for the last four days before we go home. And I would go home and graduate high school. But the party for me never stopped once I left Swift Current. I just started drinking. I was drinking at school for the first time in my life and just acting totally out of character. It came back a different person. And after I graduated high school, I went to this music festival and, you know, tons of people, outdoor, five, six day long music festival, country music festival. 
ton of my friends, ton of older people, hockey players, all, you know, tons of people, people I looked up to, especially. And I remember I got there and, you know, it was just a, it's a turning point in my life because again, I never thought I would do drugs and I, I swore I never would. And again, I thought hockey players, especially didn't do that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm at this music festival and there's guys that, you know, had show deals and had played on the world juniors and guys I really looked up to and they were partying, partying hard. They're doing ecstasy. They're doing whatever. And, and they asked me, Hey, do you want some? And I was like, no way. Like I don't do that. But I was there for multiple days in a row. And every day I was there, people around me were doing it. And it seemed like they were having a great time. And if they can handle it, look what they're achieving on the ice. That's all I cared about at that time. They're they're playing this guy played in the world junior. This guy's got three games in the NHL at 20 years old, whatever. That's that's what I saw. So on the fourth day I was there, I went against everything I stood for, everything I stood for. And I made that decision. I was like, yeah, I'll try it. And it was one of the worst decisions I ever made in my entire life because in that moment, you know, alcohol, I had a hard time putting that down. Now I couldn't put this stuff down. So I did as much of it as I could until I had to go back to Swift Current and and it just, things spiraled really quickly. I get back to Swift Current, fell apart. And long story short, I ended up walking away from the team that year because I was just in such a bad place mentally when I should have just, in hindsight, told people what was going on. I could have maybe had some help and people walk walk me through it but i just didn't i went back and played for the coquitlam express actually we're just talking about them they were burnaby back then and you know nine points in my first three games thinking i'm gonna move back home and everything's gonna be good and they kind of slid me some money under the table you know coming back from major junior and i took all that money and i just went partying i didn't have a billet i was staying at home and i just started to miss practices started to miss games before they tried to help me again lying 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 don't want help they had to kick me off the team. They go on to win a national championship and with Kyle Turris in, in that year in 2006. And, uh, you know, I, my dad had to kick me out of the house. And I was 18 years old. He's like, I, you, you're not willing to get help. You're not willing to talk. Like, I can't do this anymore because it was that bad. Um, and, you know, so Swift Current retained my rights. And I was able to call my coach, Dean Chanel. He's now the assistant coach in Toronto. Um, you know, went through a lot together. He was always super supportive uh, of me. And I called him. I said, Hey, I made a huge mistake. Can I come back? And he's like, I don't think you're going to make this team because you've, you know, you caused too many problems in this dressing room. But he's like, You're good enough to play. You might be able to find somewhere for you to play. And you know, long story short, I went back to Swift Current as a 19 year old, made the team. Didn't matter what I did. I was on the fourth line for the first two months. Didn't matter. Score two goals, fight, assist, five, whatever. Doesn't matter. Like you're staying down there and we're going to see what, you know, what you're made of. And by the end of the year, first line, all that kind of stuff, no, whatever. But again, I wasn't, I wasn't good mentally. I was drinking a lot, especially now that I was an older guy and, uh, caused a lot of problems off the ice. We would take all day to kind of dive into what that looks like and to who was involved, but just, you know, was not doing very well. And so my final year junior got traded to Kelowna, got to play on a line with Jamie Bad and Tyler Myers was on that team and Tyson Berry and Luke Shen and all those guys. And, you know, I ended up having a pretty good year. I was quite prepared to never play hockey again after that year. After everything I'd gone through, like you guys know, the hockey world's pretty small. Everyone knows everything. Brady Leibold is now using drugs and he's a problem. And so, it was, you know, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to be done and, and I'll just move on. But I had a pretty good year. I think I had 70 points in 67 games and like 
180 penalty minutes or something like that 26 fights and next thing you know my agent's calling me for the first time in four years <laughs> and he's like hey i got multiple i got multiple offers for you i ended up taking the wrong deal um based on thinking that the person who owned the team was gonna continue owning the team and kind of go to bat for me it was the tampa bay lightning um but anyways signed with them and and again was was partying pretty hard in the summertime and when I went to their camp, I wasn't in very good shape, get sent down to the American League. And, you know, I'm kind of fast forwarding through a lot, but I want you guys to be able to talk here. I just want to get into this part of it so we can get over the hockey part and kind of dive into life. But four games into the, my, you know, I think it was my fourth game in the American League. Again, I was so out of shape. And let me tell you, if anyone listening to this, if you play junior hockey and you think you're just going to walk into the American League and it's going to be easy, like you have no idea how good that league is. Like, I really still don't think people have an appreciation for how good the American League is. Obviously, the NHL is better and it's but man, I I just had no idea what a jump that was going to be from major junior to the American League. And I ended up blowing my knee out, uh, you know, four games in. It was the first kind of major injury I had. and. Yeah, pretty quickly they prescribed me Oxycontin and, uh, you know, right. And so painkiller, I'm thinking, hey, I'm 21 years old. I'm signed, you know, to the, the Lightning's organization. I'm in the American League and these doctors are giving me these pills. Like, who am I to question these doctors? I didn't know, right? I, I didn't really have a, they didn't give me a pamphlet or a talk or kind of what this entails. And And sure, we did a little bit of it in school, but you know, that'll happen to somebody else, not me, right? Like, I don't need to worry about that because it's not my life. And so, you know, I remember taking the pill the first time and I knew right away I was in trouble. I didn't really realize why, but I now have a greater understanding that, you know, Oxycontin, it's an opiate, like morphine, like heroin, like codeine. Like I, I say this, so people are kind of getting more educated on it, like fentanyl. It's all kind of the same class of drug. And they're painkillers. I mean, hell, my knee was in pain. Like, there's no doubt about it. ACL, MCL, meniscus, like my knee hurt. And these helped for that. But all that emotional pain that I was carrying from five-year-old Brady that was using hockey, then alcohol, then the ecstasy, then the Coke, then now the oxys, I didn't realize how good of a painkiller for emotional pain that those pills really were. And that's something that was never talked about for me growing up at all. And so all that pain, all that trauma I dealt with, it just like went away like that. So I started to take more pills because I liked the way it made me feel. And But I, all the while, I didn't really know I was becoming physically dependent on them. And I didn't really know what that looked like. Did, the, ahead, team know you were, did the team know you were uh, abusing them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's no way that they didn't. Like, did the coaches know? I don't know. Doctors definitely did because it was like... You know, I've got the doctor on, on speed dial one on my old flip phone or whatever the hell we had back then. Hey, doc, you know, someone stole my gym bag. They didn't steal my gym bag. I just took too many. Hey, you know, someone broke into my car. Hey, I, you know, forgot them here. And never wow. once did I ever, never once did I ever get questioned, right? So it was like, okay, here, just send them to the pharmacy and I'd go get them. The next year, I well, I came, went back for the went back for summer, and and you know I was a new dad at the time too, and and had a young young daughter and another one on the way, and I kind of you know my my ex kind of figured it out and and kind of involved her mom and my dad, and you were, were my you dad, hiding it from her. Um, I think she knew that I had them, but she didn't know that I was still doing them, you know, like I was supposed to be like, oh, you're done. And I was just like, I didn't, cause I remember I tried to stop. I was like, oh, I don't need these anymore. My knee's not in pain. But then I was like, shit, I got to go to the rink. 
And I didn't know what withdrawal was. And if you think you've ever had the flu or COVID or any of that, and you think you've been sick, like this is a million times worse. Your body hurts. You can't sleep. You throw up. You're shitting your pants. Like all of that. Like it's so bad. And all you got to do is just keep taking a pill, like another pill. Then you're like, feel like Superman again. Now you can go to practice. Now you can go do this. So to try to stop was terrifying and seemed impossible. So I remember my dad marched me into my family doctor's office and, you know, after the season over my first year pro and he's like, Brady's on these pills. You know, this is a doctor that's known me since I was a kid. Right. And, and now I'm back home and he's like, I don't know what the hell is going on. But, and the doctor was like, what the hell is this? I couldn't believe the dose I was on and how much I was taking. My dad's like, cut him off the pills. He doesn't need them anymore. And so that's what they did. In that moment, the doctors cut me off the pills and red flagged me, my dad and everyone thinking that that was going to be the answer. But all that did was just push me to find them on the streets, right? And what that did, you know, because I was physically addicted, nobody was really understanding that. And more than that, underneath it all, I was really liking the way that it made me feel because all of that shit from my past, like, we've been haunting me forever. And it was just, it was such a catch-22. And I, I just couldn't stop. And so I, you know, started to find them on the street and one thing led to another. And, you know, I used to argue to people that people would be like, you know, those are just like hillbilly heroin or, you know, it's the same thing as heroin you're doing. And I'm like, no, no, they're a pill from the doctor. It's not, but really it is. It's the exact same thing pretty much. And so, you know, this one guy I would go to see all the time, you know, and so you can imagine I went back to, uh, sorry, I got to get back to hockey. I went back to training camp the next year. And was an absolute disaster. I went there thinking I was just, I'd never really gone through the withdrawal process. And I thought I would just take a couple pills with me, go to camp four days early, sweat it out in the hotel, and then go to camp. I got to camp. I couldn't even stand up. I was so sick. And the team was like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, they basically just see you later and put me on like the long-term IR. And it was just like a long drawn out process with the PHPA. And, and really it was down to me. Like, cause I wasn't being honest and I was like making up all these excuses. Oh, I, you know, I had a lot of concussions, but I'd be like, Oh, I'm concussed. Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Cause I was just so stuck in this addiction, trying to hold on to my hockey career, not knowing what to do. And, um, so after that happened, they basically were like, you're done for the year. Like, you know, go, do whatever you got to do. And I just went home and, and fell apart even more. And so, you know, I was seeing this guy on the street and this is, this is how quickly this can happen for, for anybody. Right. I was so physically dependent on these pills. I had to have them like multiple a day, like eight to 10 minimum. Like that's how bad it was of the big guys too. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't me playing around. Like it was serious. And this guy that I would go see, for these pills every time i'd go see him he was smoking heroin which was so foreign to me you know what i mean like it was like i didn't even like being in the vehicle with this guy like man i was just i'm still signed to it like a contract right now i'm still like right there with hockey but now instead of training or hanging out with hockey people i'm like going to see this guy who's smoking heroin every day just get the pills which were pretty much the same thing and i remember he'd always ask me i saw him every day for like four or five months maybe longer and he'd ask me, he's like, hey, he's from Turkey. He's like, hey, bro, do you want some? And I'm like, yeah, right, man. I don't want to be in your car when you're doing that. Like, that's crazy. Until guess what? One day he didn't have any pills and I had no idea where else to go. And he's, and I was so sick in withdrawal. And he's like, man, if you just try some of this, you won't feel that way anymore. And I don't care what it was. I was so sick that it could have been anything. And, I, you know, I would have eaten dog shit to feel better. That's how bad. That's what I say, right? I don't know if we can swear on this podcast or not, but dog crap. Bleep, bleep it out. 
you know? And so that's what I did. And in that moment, I went from doing Oxycontin to, you know, I think I did two pills in my whole life after that moment. And, and heroin now became my life. And in that, you know, I started to obviously meet more marginalized people who were doing other drugs. And then all the other street drugs started to come in, the harder ones, crack, crystal meth, all that stuff. Like was so foreign to me, just like, I think of myself at 18 years old, like there's no way I'm ever going to do anything. And I make that one choice. And then, you know, and then it leads me into other things. And then these pills. And then the next thing you know, I'm doing heroin, you know, and took me, you know, I was doing that for a bit. You know, it wasn't for a lack of trying. I went to rehab. If you look at my elite prospects page, I, I took like, I played like two games in the coast and then I think took a year off and then went back to the central league. Like I didn't skate for almost two years. I went to rehab for the first time, walked out of rehab and, and got on a plane. Literally my dad picked me up rehab put me on a plane, went down to Rio Grande in the Central League and started playing again. Had a pretty good year. I think I had like 18 points in 20 games. It took me like seven games to get my first point. But like, dude, I had like American League teams being like, hey, you're coming to our camp. We'll, we'll get you a two-way deal. Like, they, you know, they did a story on me and I was playing well, led my team in scoring in playoffs. Not like great numbers, but it was five points in four games. We got swept or something. But, you know, I was like doing pretty well. And it was like nine months clean. I was 24 years old. And I remember coming home and, and flying into Vancouver and, and just thinking to myself, like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, you know, I went from rehab to hockey. Now I'm home and and within like two hours relapsed. And, and you know, I, I went to treatment a couple more times and, and you know, I'd get six months, seven months here and there, but never really willing to do the work, you know, like get honest about my past, deal with my trauma. Like that was the, the way out of this for me. Like I'm not like I'm out of addiction, but I mean, I still struggle every single day and we can get into my mental health and stuff uh, later on. But, you know, like I tell you, it wasn't for a lack of trying, but I just wasn't doing, I wasn't going all the way with my recovery. And so 2013, I went to my last treatment center and shortly thereafter relapsed. And by 2014, I was, you know, homeless on Hastings Street in Vancouver. If anyone's ever been to Vancouver, you drive down Hastings, it's, it's like thousands of homeless people in tents and just I'm, if you if you've never heard of it, Google it, Hastings Street in Vancouver. It's it's just wild. And it's been like that my whole life. My dad used to take me down there as a kid. If you don't go to school, if you don't do you could end up here. I'm like, yeah, right. And sure as shit, there I was. And, you know, start to commit crimes for my addiction. I was on the cover of Crime Stoppers and in 2015, get arrested, sentenced to, you know, two years in jail, ended up doing three because I, I got out and did some other bad stuff. It's, again, a long story, but, you know, just ended up in these places where I never in a million years thought I could be. And in between all that, you know, there was months and months on end where I was spending the psych ward, you know, uh, you know, police pulled me off the side of a bridge one time, intentional overdose, waking up in the hospital to heart rate monitors and my mom and dad crying at the bed. And, you know, just, and, and in those moments, waking up being pissed that I was still here because that's how hopeless I felt. That's how hurt I felt. You know, I lost hockey. I lost my family. I lost everything. I had no idea who I was. And I just felt like I could never stop doing this. And, you know, uh, you know, three years in jail. I remember being in jail. Guys are, you know, be honest with you in jail. I got a little bit of special treatment because I played some pro hockey and they're all, you know, hockey, especially in Canada, everyone loves it, but they'd watch it and they'd be like, I'd be watching hockey in jail, man. And I'd be watching the Dallas stars. And I'm like, man, like watching Jamie Ben and Jordy Ben and Tyson Barry and like all these guys. And then, you know, a couple of times I'd be watching hockey night in Canada. The one time I watched it, they're like, just watch it with us. I'm not going to say who it was, but this guy I played with in junior got called up for his first game in the NHL. And let me tell you, great guy, 
but man, he was like fourth line on our team. Like, you know, like one of those guys where it's like, how, like how? And, and in that moment, I remember thinking to myself, like, I never want to watch hockey. I never want to put my skates on. I never, I don't care. Like, this is my life. I actually became like that typical prototypical jail guy like that. I was just trying to conform to anything that I could be because I didn't know who I was. And all the while, my whole life, I was just trying to fit in right from day one in hockey dressing rooms, right from doing whatever I had to do to make sure people liked me because underneath, I really just hated myself. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was a long road and, and we can kind of talk about how I got my life back. But that's a lot. If there's any questions that you guys have to, to, to dive in there, I skipped over a lot, but I'm trying to condense it here for you guys. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> and uh, yes, have many, many questions um, for you. Just, just hearing your story. Um, I think, first of all, what you're doing and sharing your story is going to help so many people. I, I think you know that, but I think that can't be stated enough for the people that are listening that like, um, and, and, somebody maybe multiple people are listening to this right now and are either going through what you're going through have gone through what you're going through uh or or went through or know somebody that has um i, I think when you talk about trauma when you thought when you talk about addiction you know those are things that people suffer silently and because it's whether they don't want to be embarrassed or you know wh whatever it may be um, but just kind of knowing that you're not alone, you know, and there's other people that yeah. have gone through it and and not only gone through it, but have conquered it and and work at it every day and have figured out how to how to manage it and stuff. I, I do I do think it's gonna help a lot of people. Um, you know, the one thing I wanted to to start off at and, and ask you about, and I hope you don't mind me asking, um, I, I do think that trauma is something that so many people go through and suffer in yeah. silence because um, there's a lot of sick people in the world. Um, there's a lot of just really awful things that happen. You know, I know a few people that have gone through similar trauma to, to what you've gone through. Um, I I'm wondering now how you process that, um, having done treatment, having gone to therapy, you know, it's obviously something that, that lives with you every day. It's not like you can just forget about something that traumatic that has happened to you. Um, and, and I know that's a really, really heavy topic, but um, how, how, um, how do you process it now? Um, maybe for somebody out there that's listening that has gone through something traumatic in their life that is trying to figure out how to process it and get through it and get over that hump. I appreciate you asking because I think a lot of people are scared to ask that question. But if we don't ask these questions, we don't have these conversations and, you know, there's going to be there's less healing taking place, let's just say. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I didn't tell anybody until I think I told the first person when I was 27, maybe 28, 29, somewhere in there, just one person that, you know, I was probably never going to see again type deal. It was one night where I was, you know, not in a good state, let's just say. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I kind of had this understanding, like, and, and again, I understand trauma a lot better now than I, than I did when I was going through all of this. Yeah. And, and I always thought I was just a piece of garbage because I was a drug addict and doing drugs, but I never understood why I was doing the drugs and, and, and all of that. And I kind of, kind of understand that now. So for me, you know, telling, telling my family, I think was, was the, probably the hardest thing. My dad was like one of the first people I told and, um, you know, it was hard in the sense where I knew he was gonna, you know, question whether he could have done more and, and, and all of that and, and seeing the signs. And, you know, I think that was a big one. But 
but actually acknowledging the fact that it happened and I, and maybe some people work through it differently, but I was very fortunate that I had a really good therapist starting about three years ago. Like I said, when I started to kind of share my story, kind of work, work me through that and allow me to have a safe space to, you know, to talk about it and walk back through it and, and literally did an exercise where, you know, older me went back and, and held my, my, you know, five-year-old self's hand and, and, pulled him out of that situation, right? Um, because I can't change it. Like I can't go back and change what happened to me. We can't, I snap my fingers, that's history forever, right? Like we can't go back and even change that. Um, but for me, like processing the it, it took a long time to understand that it wasn't my fault. And, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll talk about this because this isn't something I talk about on a pod, on podcasts a lot. So what that did you know, because it happened to me by this older guy. And like I talked about earlier about hearing some of this language, I went through, I would say until I was about, man, I don't even know, but late teens, early twenties, where maybe even longer, where I was seriously questioning if I was gay or not. Now I have gay friends. I, you know, I, you know, pride tape is a sponsor of my podcast and, but it, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I have a beautiful girlfriend and, but because that happened to me, that was really traumatic where it was like, does that make me, you know, like, and, and that was, that was a really hard thing for me to deal with. And, and that's something I've never really talked about. I don't know why I share that now, but you know, to process that and to understand that, you know, it wasn't my choice and that, it, you know, this guy is sick. And and for me, honestly, I had to, you know, some people could say you can never forgive. You can never, I pretty sure the guy has passed away is what my dad told me. Um, but for me, I had to go back and, and I had to forgive too. Once I started that person and understand that maybe something happened to him and it doesn't excuse it, but me holding on to that anger, uh, towards somebody else was not going to serve me in any way because that anger always got me in trouble and on the ice, off the ice and always left me feeling empty every time I would kind of get angry. So to, to sit here and say that I don't have flashbacks and I don't have moments where, you know, there's triggers and I have, you know, see visions like it still happens, right? It still happens. I still have a hard time talking about it. Like I'll share my story with you and I'll tell you what happened. But if I'm feeling something, I'll be perfectly honest. I still have a hard time, like even going to my girlfriend or somebody else and saying, Hey, like, you know, this just happened or whatever, because I'm so, I think, program to just shut it down and, and think I have to deal with it on my own. So that's something that I'm kind of working through. And again, like I don't have all the answers. I just know that going back to the beginning and, and, and I had to, for me, what I did is I honestly had to kind of like relive it and, and re understand what happened. And through that guys is what happened is I realized that, man, I'm so much stronger than I ever thought possible. And when I was able to get vulnerable and tell my dad and then tell my mom and then to tell my family members and then tell my friends, like what happened, it gave me so much strength. It gave me so much strength. I can't even explain it. And what that did is it's allowed not only for me to heal, but the conversations I have, because as you said, you know, people, I think it's one in six boys and one in three girls are the statistics of who will be sexually abused. and so. You know, how many people are walking around not telling anybody what happened just like I did? So because, you know, I was very fortunate, guys like Sheldon Kennedy and Theo Fleury up here in Canada, 
they were huge, you know, some of my biggest supports and guys that I leaned on heavily who had kind of gone through something similar. Um, so that was really nice. Like knowing that I wasn't alone and that by also me sharing my story, I started to, you know, give others the strength. They're like, wow, if he's talking about it, then I can talk about it. Now I'm, you know, kind of helped open this door for other people, which, you know, Theo and Sheldon did for me. So, you know, it's still hard guys. Like there's no, there's no doubt about it. I just know that, you know, using drugs or alcohol is not, is not the answer for that. And so there's, there's different ways that, that I work through um, my mental health because that's what trauma has done is it's created underlying mental illness, you know, depression, anxiety, PTSD, you know, um, are some of the things that I, you know, deal with on a daily basis. And some days are better than others. I just know that regardless of how I'm feeling today, I cannot go back and pick up drugs or alcohol because that will, I'll, I'll die. Like I can't tell you how many times I overdosed, um, 10 plus easy. And, you know, for me, if I go back, you know, this story for me is finished. So, um, you know, I just, I don't know, I'm kind of all over the place now, but oh, going back and yeah, go ahead. Would, would you, would you say that for, I got I mean, obviously hope nobody listening is going through this, but anybody who, if there is somebody or there, there are people who are listening who can help somebody else is, is the number one step. The first thing that you, which obviously would be very hard. You said it yourself. It took you forever. Is the number one step you'd say, like reach out to somebody to get help. If so, what type of persons should somebody reach out to? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's sort of something I'm trying to help with, like in the bigger picture, so that if somebody does reach out, right, like say someone's struggling and they reach out, a lot of times I think people get scared not only to to reach out, but people are also scared to have to take on those conversations because they're not prepared to how to deal with if somebody says, hey, I'm struggling with you know, I'm thinking about taking my own life or I'm struggling with their addiction or I've been abused. But the reality is this, is that, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any letters beside my name, uh, but I have a ton of lived experience and I've gone through a lot and, and met a lot of people who've gone through a lot and nobody has all the answers. Just having the conversations and being there for each other. Like you, sometimes you don't have to say anything at all, right? So the right type of person is somebody that you, for me, um, for me, my therapist, I'd never met before. Right. And that was a good place for me to start because there was no bias. There was no previous connection. There was, you know, There's it was no just judgment either. No judgment. no judgment. Exactly. And so that was tough though. Right. Cause there's the other side where it's like, this person doesn't know me. They don't know what I'm going through, but let me tell you that it was, it was arguably the best thing that I ever did for myself because that was where I was able to be walked through certain steps and show and, you know, kind of, they, they kind of show me like how to have these conversations, you know, with my dad, with my mom and how important it is to allow people who love and care about you, your support system to come in and be a part of that. Because as you guys alluded to earlier, thinking you're alone when you're in any one of these situations or all of them is the absolute worst. And that's where we see you know, people losing their lives because they feel like nobody will understand or that they just have to do this on their own. And in, in many cases end up dying by themselves to suicide or overdose because of it. I, you know, I do a lot of work in that space too, but just in the hockey community, it's, 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 uh, it's been a, 
really eye-opening experience over the last three years. Before we jump ahead or get into something else, I hope nobody else listening to this is going through anything. But I'll tell you that I would, if I had to make a bet that somebody watching or listening to this is going through any number of of things, and the my statistics trauma, will show that, yeah, somebody yeah. is for sure, yeah, one hundred percent. And and for me, like people often say. Like, oh, I didn't really go through what you went through because sexual abuse is like this big kind of like elephant in the room where it's like the worst thing ever to, you know, and it's horrible. But I also like to remind people that trauma and what we go through is all like in our own perspective. And so somebody could be bullied and picked on in school and harassed and everything. And that is trauma. And that can cause severe issues down the road. It doesn't have to be sexual abuse. It could be a parent separation. It could be bullied, being bullied. It could be any number of things. And so it's really important, I think, that we don't compare each our trauma to somebody else's because nobody knows how I'm feeling but me. No one knows how you, you're feeling but you. But if we can all kind of just be there for each other and support and it's people helping people, we don't need to wait for therapists or doctors or quote unquote professionals all the time. We have people around us all the time. And I think, you know, most people watching this have a couple of one or two people at least who, you know, love and care about them. So it's it's about learning how to lean on those people and also, you know, being there for others as well. That's so true. That's so true. And that's why I feel like and we say this a lot, Brady, like the people you surround yourself with is the most important decisions that you can make in your entire life. Um, Cause as, as you know, you surround yourself with the wrong people, you can go down one path, you surround yourself with the right people, you go down a completely different path. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with just social safety and the environments that, that you're in. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, you, you had trauma when you were very young and then you get put into this environment of junior hockey where you were re-traumatized with a lot of the stuff that happened to you when you were younger. So I'm sure it brought up a lot of old emotions and and thoughts and, and feelings and things like that. And, and that's why it's just like, it's so important. You know, we have a lot of this is a hockey podcasts and a lot of people who coach youth hockey, play youth hockey, play pro hockey, whatever it may be. But like, you know, when, when choosing teams or like the environment that you're going into and just being socially safe is, is so freaking important. And, you know, you even look at like these studies of productivity and it's like social safety is really important in the group or the team that you're in. And so I, I challenge everybody listening to, to really take that to heart, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, especially for the young kids that are out here that are listening with, with mom or dad in the car. And I'm sure mom or dad have told you this before, but like who your friends are matter. They really, really matter. And, you know, when I go and I do my team building with, um, you know, especially the kids who are anywhere from like 11 to 17, you know, the, the thing that I say is like, okay, if you put me in a room with your five best friends, the people that you hang out with the most in the world, I will tell you with a hundred percent certainty if you're going to be able to achieve your dreams or not, you know? Put me in a room with your five best friends, the people you associate with the most. I'll be able to tell you 100% certainty if you're going to be able to reach your dreams or not because um, it, could go, it can go either way. 
Um, you know, Vex and I have talked about how we had to lose friends in high school because we saw the path that they were going down, um, and, and didn't necessarily want to go through that path too. Um, and so I don't know, I, like you've spoken a little bit to it, Brady, but just, I, I just think it's so important. I would love you to, to kind of dig a little deeper on just how important your friends are, how important the environment that you're in, um, especially when you have gone through some of the tough stuff that you have gone through, um, just how important that is to you. Yeah. I mean, you kind of alluded to it off the top there where, you know, for me moving to Swift Current there, it was really tough. Like you talk about really being re-traumatized there. It, it was, it was just that. I mean, there were so many other things that happened that I don't want to get into that were, you know, be in my book when I write it, but it, it was tough. And, and, you know, I think, I just think to my story of, you know, leading up to that decision, let's say at the music festival, I had spent all my time prior to that with, you know, pretty good hockey guys, you know, people that we were, and we used to go to like Ikea till and play underneath the, the underground parking lot to like four in the morning. And there's like three NHL draft picks in our group, multiple other pros. Like we played for keeps, man. Like we, you know, and that's what we did. And, and that's kind of where I kind of built myself up as, you know, as a hockey player was, was hanging out with those people. And I just think of how quickly my life spiraled out of control once I, it, it just took one, hanging out with one bad person and they introduced you to one more bad person and one more bad person. And I never really stopped to think about it when I was younger. Like, who are these people I'm hanging out with? Like, what value do they bring to my like life? And it's not always about what can I get out of it, but it it, it sort of is. Like, are they bringing you up or are they bringing you down? And Man, I, there's a lot of adjustments that I would make with the people that I hung out with, even from an early age. Um, you know, I, I think back to even being in some of the dressing rooms, and I don't know if you guys saw much of this. I'm sure you did, but there was, it seemed like I saw guys. We'll just use Carey Price for example. So at we were at top forty in BC for Team Pacific or Team BC. I can't remember. It was under 17s or whatever. And I remember, you know, I'm showing up in pajamas. <laughs> you know, to the rink and Kerry Price has got like a suit and tie on. And, you know, a lot of other people were in like pajamas and sweat, sweatpants and stuff, but he's showing up with like a suit and tie and, and guys are making fun of him and, Oh, what a try hard. What are this? What are that? And, and kind of like getting picked on for being professional. I don't know if this still happens. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, like a guy that's working too hard in practice or staying out and shoot by like all the things you should be doing. You're, you're and, talking to those dude, two guys. you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> like Vex and I have a, a legitimate hatred for people who call anybody like a Johnny Tryhard. It, it's because uh, that was us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. Because I wasn't very good. <laughs> but but that's so true, and and it happens a lot, Brady. Like I'm Jeff and I are involved in youth hockey a lot. And you'd be well, maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but it's it's a problem. It's a oh, problem. Yeah. And and again, this is actually something that I talk about in my team building, too, is that like everybody wants to be the hardest worker. Everybody wants to be the best. Everybody wants to be the hardest worker, but only only a few people can achieve that. Right. So if you're not the hardest worker, there's two things that you can do to be the hardest worker. Number one is you can try to outwork the guy or the girl that is the hardest worker. 
Or number two, which is what happens way too much because nobody wants to work that hard, is they'll make fun of the people who work that hard. Because at the end of the day, we all seek approval. We all seek acceptance. It's a part of our human nature. It's a big part of what makes us us. So we're like, oh man, I don't want to like not fit in. I, I want to be a part of the group. So they, you know, because they get made fun of for working too hard, they they kind of dial it back a little bit. So they're not getting made fun of and they can be part of the in-group. And, uh, and, and it got it. That just like, it, it grinds me right now. It like, it's one of, it's a pet peeve of mine as you could probably tell. So I, dude, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't blame you at all. And I, I work with, uh, like some WHL guys, but I'm in Ontario. So mostly like Ontario league guys, but guys, especially guys going in their first year of junior and stuff. I always talk to them. I always tell them, even like the, there's one guy's a 19 year old drafted to the NHL right now. And, like I told him, like, you know, when he first got there, I was like, gravitate to like whoever you think is the biggest hockey geek. Like, that's the word I use, like someone who's working hard, because that's like kind of what I remember being like. And, I, and I'm like thinking back as the years have gone on, I'm like, oh, that guy, he worked really hard. He stayed up after practice. That guy, all guys that went on to play, you know, like in, in, the, in the show, like the Zach Smiths, the Dale Weeses, like, like those guys, they were just in the gym and they just worked and worked and worked and worked. And they weren't the most talented guys, but they just worked and worked. And, you know, I think if you find yourself in and around, you have a goal, whether it's hockey or something else, I think the vast majority of people listening is probably hockey. But if you really want to be a hockey player and you really want to achieve the highest level of, of success in hockey, then you need to surround yourself with the other people who are willing and doing the things to put themselves in that position. That Amen. doesn't mean finding the guys who are like first ones off the ice or instead of taking one timers, let's go play three puck or let's go play rebound. Like go work with the guys who are taking pucks on the boards, you know, like go, go do all this stuff that isn't the most fun because it's not all about fun and find the people who are professional and want to work. And those are the people you got to gravitate towards because if you don't and you go there, I see it all the time. I saw it when I was playing junior pro, whatever, it's, it's still like kind of like that. I'm sure like, you know, pro now is more everyone's just you have to be dialed but and even back then you did i just wasn't but um you know it, I, I see it all the time and and i've seen good kids come into organizations at 16 years old who come in there with every aspiration of making it to the nhl and they're willing to do whatever it takes and they work hard and they come in professional but then you talk you you talk about exactly what you were just talking about wanting to fit in they don't want to be that young kid on the team who's working harder than everybody else because then they're gonna get and it's like why is that even a discussion like we should be encouraging people to just be yourself and if you're like work just work hard don't worry about what anybody else thinks but you talk about that being comfortable in your social environment it it's so important to like the human nature that you see a lot of people go outside of who they really are in their own character just to fit in with others and you know i was certainly guilty of that that's so true man it's like like when it comes to teams you look at even in the nhl like all the teams that have had quote-unquote dynasties or whatever like Sidney crosby best player hardest worker anzi kopitar best player, hardest worker, Patrice Bergeron, best player, hardest worker, Jonathan Taves, best player. Well, maybe not best, but one of best players, hardest worker. Like there's a reason, like 
if you want to win a championship or you want to have sustained success, your best players have to be your hardest workers because people will gravitate to the best players. And if your best players aren't, <laughs> you're in trouble. You know, yeah. you're in big, big, big trouble. <laughs> hey guys, I want to introduce you to a new company called NordVPN that allows you to watch things from all over the world and also has an unbelievable security feature for you too. If you're bored of US Netflix, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. There's no need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN can also bring it right to you. With over 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using our show's link at nordvpn.com slash think tank, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. NordVPN also has unbelievable security features that can help protect you, and they've doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like, great. If not, they'll issue you a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again at nordvpn.com slash think tank to get your subscription started today. Again, that's nordvpn.com slash think tank. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so funny, man. This is everything that we talk about on our podcast. And I guess reflecting back, like if you would have stuck with, with, you know, the, the guys you grew up with, if you would have stuck with that that crowd, <clears throat> do you think that maybe the trajectory would have been different? Or do you think just because you hadn't addressed anything, it was bound to come out, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't say this lightly. I think, I think my ability was there like to be a, you know, a better hockey player. Like I never really put it all together because of my mental health issues, even from like 16, 17, my potential was never found. I'd have one game where like lights out and then four horrible games, you know, like no consistency because I was so up and down all the time. And, you know, I, it was, it was hard. Like I told you guys, I, I never wanted to put my skates back on. It took, I went nine years to put my skates back on and just in the last couple of years started, started coaching, started doing all that again. So it was nine years where I was like, I'm, I, I just don't want to play. And the reason was is because I thought I hated hockey, right? I was, I hate the game because, you know, my career didn't work out and everything else. And, you know, I was for a long time jealous, envious of, you know, like the guy told you about getting called up. Like, how is he, you know, getting a game again, like all that. But to your point, now that I'm older and I've had time to kind of really understand where I was at, you know, even if I would have played, I probably would have died with all that money. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way. I just think until I was willing to address the the trauma and work through my issues that it was never going to happen like never in a million years going to happen uh, i think it would have just been a matter of time until the carpet or the rug was pulled out or i was introduced to the wrong person or or you know make the one bad choice and for me that changed my life forever so you know, I, I've come, I've now accepted and I'm on the other side where I like, I love the game and I so, so, so respect 
that guy that I was just telling you about who got called up and all the players who went on that in my mind, I was better than that guy. I fought that guy and beat him up. I had more points than that guy. You know, those conversations that I, I don't know if you've ever had those ones in your head, but that was a constant thing in my mind. Like, Oh, you know, well, no, because I was usually the guy who got beat up and that you were better than, and then <laughs> I just kept I know, working. Yeah. You, you, had a, you had a longer career than I did, so you got to be doing something right. But now that I'm older, I understand that those guys were willing and did more than I did, and more importantly, they their minds were that were were in a much better state, and it didn't matter. There was nothing that was going to, short of me really working through myself, uh, or sorry, my problems, that was going to allow me to have any sort of sustained sustained success playing hockey or doing anything for that matter. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I've made peace with it. And like I said, I have tons of respect and a way greater understanding of how and why that happened for those guys. And now I'm like, you know what? Yes get it like you guys deserve that like you, you worked like you did it and i didn't right like and and that's where i'm at and that's why you know when i'm coaching now and, and doing my stuff like i share all the blunders that i made in my mindset and how i wasn't in practice how i was at practice and how i showed up for i just took everything for granted as like practice like i don't want to practice and now i'm like when i get to go coach i'm like i get to go to practice like yes <laughs> like you know and like that's the mentality that you need to have you know, going into a, a practice, if, if you want to have success, and if you're not, you know, if you're not in that state of mind, then, then what the hell are you doing playing in the game anyway? Like, it's it. such a gift. It's such a gift. Like playing hockey, what a gift. And most kids, they never even get a chance. But it's so expensive. Everything like hockey's given me everything in my life, like the best people, everything, man. Like if it wasn't for hockey, I wouldn't be having this conversation, not only because it's a hockey podcast, but because I'd be dead. When I decided three years ago, tomorrow, uh, I don't know when this podcast comes out, probably after so three years tomorrow uh, of recovery for me, like when I started this, it was the hockey community that rallied around me that gave me a voice that supported me that 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 did everything for me to allow when i reached out and said hey i need some help it was the hockey community that reached back and said we got you like we we got it like a hundred percent and that's what i've seen for for three years so my love for the game of hockey and the people in it don't get me wrong there's pieces of garbage everywhere that's just the reality of the world but <laughs> hockey for the most part the people in it you know, are, are good people, team people who, who really care. And I, I just, I do think there's a lot of growth that needs to be done, but that's just generally speaking in the world. Yeah, man. So. Yeah, man. Hey, so I want to get into what you're doing now because I think it's incredible with puck support and, and, you know, the coaching and stuff that you're doing. And, and my question for you kind of goes along with that. Um, I, I think empathy is, uh, a thing that is so strong and powerful um, and not talked about enough. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I always try as a coach and I think I try to impart this on your players and stuff like that is like, you never know what somebody's going through. Like you really never know what somebody's going through. You know, like a lot of times if somebody's acting out or somebody's not trying in practice or somebody's, you know, just making trouble, whatever it may be, you know, a lot of times the conventional wisdom of what we think is like, ah, oh, maybe that person just messed up or maybe they're like lazy or they're just not a good dude or not a good person, you know, and I'm, you're shaking your head. Like it's, I'm sure a lot of people would have said about you, 
when yeah. in reality, like what you were taught, there's a reason why, you know, there's a reason why people act the way that they do. And some, per, some people's layers are, you know, they go a little bit in some people's layers are extremely deep. Like the story, you know, that, that you told with the trauma and, and junior and all that kind of stuff. And like, I, I, I would just encourage everybody out there. Like if somebody's, you feel like somebody's maybe going through something, give them a hug. Yeah. <laughs> or just say how you doing, you know, like that stuff goes a long, long way rather than just be like, uh, I'm, let's just cast this person as a misfit, you know, that, that is a hundred percent, you know what I mean? And, and I, I'm sure maybe there were some people in, in your life that tried to do that. Maybe there were times where they did and you weren't ready to hear it or listen, um, you know, maybe, maybe, and I'm sure you wish there were more people that took you aside and, and asked you how you were doing and, you know, are you okay? And, and things like that. And, and maybe your road to recovery and maybe your road to your truth and being able to share some of this stuff would have been a lot earlier and you might've been able to, um, you know, get some help a little bit earlier. Had somebody just said, Hey, how are you? <laughs> uh, it, it goes a long way. It yeah. goes a long way. Sorry, Trevor, yeah. go ahead. No, no. I just, and it's like the iceberg analogy, right? Like what you see with the iceberg is just like the, the 10% of the iceberg and you don't see the, the 90% of why the iceberg looks the way that it does, you know? And, and um, I, I just, and then I'd love to hear your take on it as you go through now your coaching, now your public speaking, now you're helping so many of these people, like how much of that is, is empathy and how much of that is, is trying to get into somebody else's shoes and try to see their perspective of where they're coming from and, and digging a little deeper into the why of why things happen the way they are, why people are the way that they are. Is that like a big thing that you talk about? Is it a thing that's kind of helped you as well? Long, yeah, long. Well, I think, sorry. I think, no, 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 don't, don't be sorry. Uh, you're, you're bang on though. Em empathy is, 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 is very powerful. And, you know, for me, I spend, you know, anytime I see a homeless person, I give them money. I talk to them. I, you know, and, and some people may not agree with that. I don't care what they do with their money. I just try to make their day better, even if it's for five minutes, you know, or, or 30 seconds of saying hi, because you think, oh, that person's no good. A lot of people, I've been homeless in that situation where they just turn your head, turn your head they don't want to talk to you because it's wrong. But the few times where I was in that situation, like the worst situation, and people actually were like, hi, I remember times where that just brightened my day and felt made me feel like, hey, maybe I do have some value here. But I think for me, you know, it was, you know, I, I really understand uh, not what everyone's going through, let's say, but I understand what it feels like to be in pain. And I have a ton of empathy for that. And I also have a ton of empathy for, for the people who feel that they can't share what's going on with them. And, and this may be a bad example, but you talk about, you know, you don't know what anyone's going through at any given time. And now that I'm, you know, 35 and connecting a lot with especially the guys I played with in junior, guys I've talked to, some of them 15 years or whatever. And we, we have chats and we're talking and I'll be like, man, like when we were in Swift Current, I remember being in the dressing room before a game and being so nervous, like just like couldn't even think, like wanted to just run away and all like whatever it was. And then I talked to some of these people like, man, I was feeling the exact same way. Like I was so like, it's like, why weren't we all, why were we all pretending like we're in this armor going to war? Like we got it all. We were so tough. Because we're big, tough, masculine dudes. 
right? <laughs> and, and and so I think I think having an understanding that you're right, people are going through things that we'll never see and and sometimes unfortunately never hear because people are not comfortable enough to talk about them. But showing empathy, like you said, if you see a sign, you know, that that somebody's struggling, you know, it 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 could be life-saving just by having a conversation with them. Let me tell you, I've been in those situations on both sides of it where, you know, having somebody there for me has saved my life. And in turn, you know, there's been times when I've been able to do that and and show empathy where maybe there's times where I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to deal with something like that or you know, it's too heavy or like in the past, I mean, and, you know, so grateful that, you know, there's times that I just listen to my intuition. You know, if you, if you really recognize something and something's telling you, like pay attention to it. If you're able to just walk away and be like, ah, it's that person's problem. Like I I have a really hard time doing that. Right. Like I I think you guys are probably much the same in that way. I can kind of see the, the way you guys are. We don't know each other from, from from I mean this conversation I mean Vex and I've talked on social media but I can kind of see that you guys are very much the same like we just care about people and you know there, I just think that there's there's a lot of people that care about people I think a lot of people don't know how to or feel comfortable enough to even if they see somebody who's in distress or struggling to say hey are you okay like that's a whole topic for another day you could do a three-hour podcast on on that and and what that looks like because so many people are are just scared to say the wrong thing or they don't know what to say and and I alluded to it earlier where we just need to get back to forget about you know worrying about saying the right thing all the time sometimes you just have to be there for one another and, and you know I don't know man it's it's I could talk about this stuff all day I love that I I think that that that's true leadership too is is knowing the people around you enough, whether you're a coach or a parent or, or whatever, like a strength coach, like myself, like being able to read when people are, are in your presence. And like, I have no problem going up to guys and like, I can tell right away, like, dude, what's something's going on. Like, come to what's, you know, what do you, what's going on? Why, why are you the way you are right now? Come on. Like, tell me what, what you have going on. I just, yeah, I think you're so right. And I, like, I, I look at Tof and I talk about all the time that the best leaders know which buttons to push in each player. But I also think that the best leaders know their players so well that just by the way they walk in the room, like they know something's going on and, and, you know, just asking, having a conversation, don't be afraid to do that. For sure. For sure. Well, Brady, let's talk about what you're doing now. Um, because I, I, I think it's unreal, man. And, uh, so you've started this, um, this nonprofit, it's a nonprofit, right? Yeah. 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 So you start, go, yeah. So you've started this nonprofit, it's called Puck Support. And, um, dude, like just tell the world what it is because it's, it's unreal helping so many different people. You got a great social media presence with it. Um, so if you can just, just tell our listeners a little bit about Puck Support, why you started it and, and what you're up to now. Yeah. So uh, like, like I said, three, about three years ago, um, you know, I, I decided that I was going to take my life back and really start to work through my trauma. And uh, about March, uh, end of March 2020, I decided to start a podcast. And, you know, it's, it's called Hockey to Hell and Back now. But you know, through that podcast, uh, you know, I started to talk to different people who had gone through similar things. And 
Uh, I remember the Sportsnet up here in Canada, one of the bigger uh, sports media uh, organizations that do NHL games and all that, Hockey Night in Canada type stuff. And, and they picked up the story about me doing a podcast. And, you know, I remember sharing this story about in this article about a guy that I played with in Norfolk and in Tampa's camp. And we played against each other our whole lives in the WHL and minor hockey. And his name was Mitch Fadden. But, you know, when I did this story, you know, I shared about how the night before Stamkos put on a Tampa Bay Lightning jersey for the first time, me and this other guy, because I left his name out, were actually up all night partying the night before, like the two degenerates, because we had addiction issues and mental health issues. And anyways, long story short, I kind of shared this in the Sportsnet article. You can read about it on on Sportsnet if you just Google my name. But I left Mitch's name out because I hadn't talked to him in many years. And I didn't want to air out his dirty laundry about saying, hey, you know, we were up doing this or that or whatever. And so when the Sportsnet article came out, I really was trying to find Mitch. I was like, man, like, we got to talk about this story. You know, like maybe you can come on my podcast. And I didn't know where to start, like like to find him. So I made a post on Facebook. Like, does anybody know where Mitch Fadden is? And unfortunately, I got a phone call later that day uh, from a guy that I didn't know who I'm not friends with. And he said, hey, I think you should sit down. Mitch Fadden passed away of a fentanyl overdose in 2017. And, you know, from 2014 to 2020, heroin, heroin was out and fentanyl was was like everywhere heroin was like gone and everything was fentanyl so the reason why i share that is because it was my drug it was like the drug i was using a lot of for the vast majority of my addiction and in the you know during my addiction i I never thought like another hockey player would be doing fentanyl and then all of a sudden i find out my roommate from norfolk and a guy that was one of the best hockey players i've ever seen in my life period is now gone like a brother and i knew that in that moment that like i had struggled i'd heard that another ohl player died and then mitch just of like overdose and I decided to like kind of dig in and I wanted to, to see, you know, if there's three, you know, two people have passed away and me who has struggled, there has to be more. We can't be like, we can't be the only ones. And I got to do something in Mitch's honor and, and do something. Cause like, this is this, like, I just, I can't sit back. I was just shook. And here I was still alive questioning myself. Like, why am I still here? You know, and, and what can I do more? And, you know, so I, I had this idea of starting a charitable organization to help support former junior and pro hockey players with mental health and addiction issues. And through that, you know, it was a big on, uh, undertaking. I told you guys before we came on here that when I first started all this, literally, I was on government assistance. I was on welfare, like no joke. Welfare had nothing, lost everything, living on the street, in jail, like nothing. And I borrowed a computer, and I—that's how I started my podcast. I was just borrowing a computer. That's what. I, that's how I started. And you know, I heard that Mitch passed away. And then as I started to uncover more and more and more of these stories, and, you know, as we sit here now, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of 94 hockey players who have passed away from suicide or overdose. And so I really wanted to do something and I wanted to do something for the hockey community. And, and now it's sort of morphed into trying to use hockey as the vehicle to ignite these conversations around mental health and substance abuse. So we're a nonprofit up here in Canada took me a long time to get the board of directors built and everything. As you can imagine, not a whole lot of people wanted to listen to me when I first started. If you go back, like my teeth come out I from hockey, but I had no teeth. Like I lost them in my addiction. I couldn't have money and paper. I look like hell. If you saw pictures and you see some of the early videos in my podcast, you're like, oh my God, this guy's out of his mind. And I was, but I just did it. And I started to share my story and 
you know, we're now uh, a nonprofit to, to that or we're building programs to help hockey organizations educate their coaches, their players, and especially the parents, because parents don't understand how big of a role they play. They think it's all about the kid or all about the coaches. The parents need to be educated on this stuff as well. Um, like the stuff we talked about, looking for signs and, and where to go to turn for help and all those. Like, it, there's it's such a vast uh uh, number of things that we need to cover um so it's a pretty big undertaking but you know in the you know it took a long time to get the nonprofit status because it cost money and lawyers and i didn't have that i told you guys earlier too about the clothing line so the clothing line is actually a separate entity where that kicks back part of the profits into the nonprofit. so there's the puck support corporation and then the puck support network which is actually the nonprofit. so you know we're going to do our first kickoff fundraisers this summer with some golf tournaments one up here in muskoka get some of these nhl guys with cottages come out and play some golf and uh hopefully raise some money and, and then we can get out there and, and start to do some good work um really excited about puck support really proud about puck support because it's not you know it's about a, it's a community uh, you know we built a community of, of people who support each other and can rely on each other and the clothing line like this shirt says mental health over hockey i showed you guys like in all of our stuff there's a name of a hockey player uh who's passed away from suicide or overdose so one of those 94 hockey players a way to remember them and like the family members of of the, these hockey players you know they're wearing it and you know you walk into a rink with a shirt that says mental health over hockey and people are like what what and i mean i get messy i get it all the time myself because i wear it obviously all the time but we have you know thousands of people wearing it now like it's gone very well believe it or not and i get messages where it's like hey i was at the rink tonight i was wearing my you know we have different other slogans too but like say this one mental health over hockey sweater and instead of you know me and the other dad complaining about our son getting or daughter getting ice time or why he's not playing on the power play or this or that He's like, we actually had a conversation about mental health. And I learned that, you know, this guy actually struggles and I struggle. And we spend an hour talking about like, and and that's sort of what it's done. And so it doesn't always have to be that I have to be there or someone has to be there or a doctor or someone has to be there. It's just a, a message that is carried to go back to where we started to show that, hey, you're not you're not alone in this. You may, you may feel alone, but let me tell you, you're not alone because there's so many people going through any number of things. And so, you know, I started uh, the clothing line and we have the nonprofit. And, you know, after nine years, I put my skates back on and um, back coaching hockey. I just got hired as the head of skill development for the entire major AAA association where I live, which is a, like just outside the GTHL. They compete with, with those teams. So it's, it's really exciting. And, and, you know, back playing senior hockey, uh, which I'm old and slow, but having a good time doing it. Um, yeah. And, and doing some, some coaching in the summertime, I had a really good opportunity last summer to get on the ice with, with some pretty incredible hockey players like Bo Horvat and Tavares and Sam Gagne. And, you know, so they actually invited me out <laughs> one day. They were like, Hey, Hey, our guy's gone for the rest of the summer. Do you think you can come out for a day? Little did I know their guy was Adam Oates who was working with them. And, and, and so they, they say, you want to come out? So I go out the first day it's Tavares and, Gagne Horvat, Kyle Clifford, Victor Mete, Kevin Ball from New Jersey, like Matt Luff, like a bunch of these guys. And, you know, I had a plan and, and I put them through like, you know, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. I've been around, right? I hadn't been around that much, though. Man, I was pretty nervous. And I thought it was like a one day thing. 
And, uh, you know, I left the rink and about 15 minutes later, Sam Gagne calls me and he's like, Hey, and I, let me tell you, I didn't know a single one of these guys from before. Cause I'm from the Western league. These are OHL guys. And I'm now in Ontario. Like they didn't know me from a hole in the ground other than social media. And he's like, Hey, the guys really loved it. Loved what you did. Did you think you can come back for the rest of the summer? And I was hell like, yeah. E- hell yeah. I'm I there know, every day. So for the last month and a half, you know, I'm, I'm putting these guys through drills and, running ice for them. And you guys know they're any tellers. I'm not out there trying to like teach them how to shoot or anything like that. It's just about putting them through the paces and getting them ready for the season. And, you know, that was, a, it's pretty awesome. And I developed friendships with a lot of them. And you know, I was just at the Leafs game a couple of weeks ago with Sam Gagne and his family. And, you know, the Jets were in town and got to go out for dinner with his family and his wife was there. And uh, we were just in Vancouver a couple of months ago. I was down in the Canucks dressing room with Horvat before he got traded. And I was down there, Luke Shen, Tyler Myers. And, you know, like three years ago, I was in a jail cell, right? So it, it's been, um, you know, cool. it's been a, it, it's a remarkable uh, turnaround story and that's what i mean the hockey community the people in the hockey community are the ones who have allowed me to really start to rebuild my life and, and give me a chance now don't get me wrong i've done a lot of work to get here and it took you know proving and doing stuff and there's no question about it i've worked my ass off but i can work as hard as i want but if these people you know in this community that i'm trying to be a part of again aren't willing to to listen or to offer help like i could work as hard as i want i'm not going to get anywhere so it's been a collective effort and you know it's reignited my passion for life for for hockey for people um you know i just i you know do a lot of public speaking universities we're doing high schools we do a lot of hockey teams where i can come in and, and share my story kind of like i did a little bit different than i did tonight but kind of just the steps of like where i was and like how i never thought i would do this and and look here i am and and this is what happened and it's not just me because i have so many other stories to go off of now especially the ones who have passed away like the mitch faddens of the world um you know it, it's uh it, it's i don't know how i did it to get to where i'm at today people are always like what did you do I got vulnerable. I got honest. And that's where it started. It was working through that trauma and figuring out who I really am. You know, I put on all these masks. I get into a hockey dressing room. I got to fit in. Oh, I'm in jail. I got to fit in. I'm on the streets with other addicts. I got to fit in. And I just did whatever anybody else was doing to try to like be accepted. And then like three years ago, I just said, you know, screw this. I'm just going to do this my way because I know inside I'm a good person and I'm doing it for the right reasons. And not everyone's going to love you. Not everyone's going to like you, but here's the goal. I just want to help one person. That was my goal when I started everything. And I can confidently say that I, I've done that. And I honestly try to do, I try to help at least one person every single day and leave an impact on this world. And sometimes it goes back to just having a conversation of saying, Hey, how you doing like that that can be game changing. we think we take that for granted but man like you know holding doors for someone having conversations with people like making eye contact with people like human connection like holy cow it goes a long ways and the and the shirts i love that they're they're starting that where can where can the listeners get the shirts yeah uh puck support.com um what's a good uh what's a good promo code for your podcast i'll make a promo code we didn't talk oh, about that. snap think tank. oh no you gotta do gmbm think- gmbm oh all right bro yeah gmbm G- you said it what it- gmbm yeah means okay. get more you be more better- get more be more give, give like more that. be more give more oh, be more oh, I- 
Give more, be more. Okay, I love that. I'm going to make that. We'll uh, we'll leave that up for the next couple of months. We'll give everyone from your podcast 20% off. Um, PuckSupport.com. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty powerful. And again, like I don't say that because I want credit or anything. It's just powerful in the sense that once you start to have these conversations, you realize how many people are are struggling or know someone who's struggling. Like I say this when I do my public speaking. Uh, every time I said, I said, if if anyone over the age of 18 years old can really stand up right now and tell me that they don't know somebody that they love or care about who hasn't struggled with mental health or addiction issues, please stand up. Like never once. There's not one adult that I've met that can stand up and say, you know what? I've never met anybody in my life that struggled. Like it just doesn't happen. So it, you know, once we, once we're able to have these conversations and, and feel safe to do so, man, so much healing will come and we can't stop all of the the carnage, unfortunately, and the tragedies and, and addiction. Like you can't, unfortunately we can't stop it, but I really think that we can, we can mitigate it and reduce it. And if we get people, the education and the tools and and all those things, and we can we can help save lives and help people from having to go down that that dark road that I went down. I, I'm just one of the very 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 lucky ones that's uh, around to tell my story because you know I went from playing pro hockey to being an IV drug user for multiple multiple years, like eight years, um, homeless in jail. You know, you kind of asked me earlier where it was. Do you think? you know, the trajectory of your life, all that, like the what ifs, like if you could have, do you think the hockey, like, don't get me wrong, plays through my mind still, not as much, but it's like, oh, what if, uh, sometimes I'll watch hockey, I'm like, man, like, oh, you know, but I've kind of gotten to the the point where I've accepted it, but I wouldn't trade my life or my experiences for, and I use Jamie Ben as the scapegoat here because he's on his last year or second last year, he's my line mate in Kelowna one of his last years of a $76 million deal. Okay. <laughs> Guy, Olympic gold medal, world junior gold, Stanley cup final art Ross trophy winner, probably made close to a hundred smell playing in the show. And I would not trade my life right now for his, I would not, I just wouldn't. And that's no disrespect to Jamie Banner, his life. Like he's got a great life. Captain of the Dallas stars, tons of money, happy, you know, good life. But for, who I am and who I know I am today, man. If I would have played hockey till I was 35 or whatever in the NHL, like he's going to, or any number, I'm just using him as an example. Like I just speak for myself. When that ended, I would have no idea who I am. And then I might have to go all through this all again of like spiraling out of control and everything else. And and I always tell people like, you know, I'm working with some NHL players, uh, you know, I'm talking to NHL, like I'm living, you know, my NHL, the Anaheim Ducks wanted to fly me down there to do their podcast and to speak to their team and to do all this stuff. But unfortunately I'm a criminal up here in Canada. So I'm trying to work through the, the border issues, but like, you know, that to me, like getting that, like, the Anaheim Ducks and the NHL saying, Hey Brady, like we see what you're doing and it's so much bigger than like one person's hockey career. Like my hockey career was selfish. It was like, what I'm doing this for me. Yes. Maybe for my family and other people. But at the end of the day, it was like self motivation, like a self driven, like what's the purpose here. It's so that I could play in the NHL. But what I'm doing now is not for me at all. I didn't start any of this for me. It was to make, literally make this world, hopefully a better place and help people. So that's why I say I just would not 
trade my life for any for Jamie Banner, any one of these guys' lives. Don't get me wrong. I think it would be fun and, and it's a great life. But I don't have that much money today. I'm in a way better spot than I was three years ago. Obviously, I'm working and doing my stuff. But I don't have a ton of money. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. But I, I don't need all that. I don't need the Ferrari or the mansion or the whatever because every day I wake up, I have purpose. Like I know what I'm doing. Like I know why I'm here and and what my mission is, and that is to share my stories, help people find their voice, and, and to to leave a lasting impact. You know in people's lives and and hopefully in turn by doing that those people will also carry on that message when they find their strength in helping others as well so for me man this like what i'm doing now way better than any nhl career ever could have been and people can call me crazy or whatever but i'll tell you what man the stress and pressure and all this crap that i felt as a hockey player i still have anxiety i still have stresses and pressures dude I don't miss that at all. People say, would you go back and play? Absolutely not. Sign me up for senior. It's fun. No pressure. I don't care. But I couldn't, I don't know, man. For me, it was just, it was kind of like too much. And it, maybe it just wasn't for me. And I had to get to to this level in hockey where it was like, you know, kind of like, oh, he must have been okay, I guess, because he made it this far. But I met a lot of the great people and it set me up. So then I have that. And then I went through all this crazy can't even believe it's like a movie. Like, honestly, like my, it's crazy. Some of the stuff I went through and now using that and my hockey combining the two and it's given me a purpose driven life, man. And for me, that's, I think that's all you can ask for. Oh yeah, dude. Well, we're yeah. happy that you came on tonight. We're happy you shared your story. We're happy you're still here. Hopefully uh, our listeners go and, and support your, your mission and the mission, not the centered around you and, and check out uh, yeah. pucksupport.com. And if you want some, uh, some shirts, get them while they're hot, 20, 20% off. He's the man, the man, the myth, and the legend said, so use, use code GMBM yeah. and save some money and, uh, and get some shirts. I, here, guys, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get you guys some stuff to send you a couple of hats or shirts. I'm so back. So I'll, get uh, i'll touch base with you and we'll we'll get you guys something sent out and and uh yeah you can keep them or give them away or yeah. do whatever you want with it but we'll awesome, get them down man. there for sure yeah, i really appreciate, appreciate i really 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 appreciate you guys having me on and you know there's uh there's lots more work for for all of us to do the listeners for all of us just be good people and and be there for one another show kindness, show compassion, be empathetic. Like we talked about in this podcast, those are what will change the world. And, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing and Vex, I love your, your videos, man. I could have used you like 20 years ago as my trainer, dude. Like <laughs> I feel like you would have been the guy, you would have been the guy, man. Like yeah. you're the guy I needed, but that's all right. Uh, we, we found each other now, bro. Keep making your that's videos right, too. I love that's, them. That's right, buddy. Awesome stuff, Brady. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll continue to share your mission. Anything we can do to, to help support what you have going on. Um, and like Vex said, go to pucksupport.com, follow Brady on social media at puck support and uh, awesome stuff you're doing. So thanks again for coming on and uh, keep doing awesome work, man. Thank you so much guys. 